welcome to the In Focus podcast series brought to you by Retina International. Today I'm joined by Chad Andrews, who is um, policy advisor at uh, Fighting Blindness Canada. Uh, and he's joining us today to talk about the work of Fighting Blindness Canada, who are a member, a longtime member organization of Retina International. You're very welcome, Chad. Oh, thanks so much for having me uh, on the podcast. I appreciate it. So a lot of our members are very interested in learning from other peer groups um, and learning about the roles that people have. So could you tell us a little bit about your role in Fighting Blindness Canada? Yeah, definitely. So it's actually evolved quite a bit. Um, I've been with the organization for, well, let's see, something like three and a half years at this point. And um, one of the nice things about working at Fighting Blindness Canada, I'm sure that this is the case for many uh, charitable organizations, uh, is that I've had the chance to shift around in, in the organization quite a bit. Um, so I've been you know, very directly involved in some of our educational initiatives, including Vision Quest and the National Young Readers Program. Uh, but more recently, um, my uh, work is, is pretty squarely focused on policy initiatives and also uh, uh, what I call internal research, although of course it doesn't have much meaning if I don't explain it a bit. Um, but basically Fighting Blindness Canada is uh, primarily a, a research organization, so uh, we raise money and then direct those funds towards Canadian scientists who are working in vision and ophthalmology. Uh, so those are kind of the external scientific projects, but more recently we've had these internal research projects, which are sociological uh, burden of illness studies. And um, I've really been trying to push those forward in any way I can over the last couple of years. So that's kind of my primary focus these days. Yes, um, and as you say, within a lot of charitable organizations, roles evolving, and I suppose now, you know, as, as, as we move forward within our own community and research goes through the clinical route um, to the development of therapies, and, and, and now we're dealing with issues of access to, to, to those therapies. And I know that that's something that a lot of organizations are trying to understand where they can play a role. You know, that's something that you're working on yourself. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I think that that's part of the trajectory of uh, our organization, Fighting Blindness Canada, over the last 40 plus years. And I'm sure that that's, that's probably the case with um, many organizations across the globe as well. Um, you know, we started out as a, as a relatively small community organization. It was really started in the 1970s by a group of families affected by retinitis pigmentosa. This is back in the, the olden days when, you know, basically every inherited retinal disease was considered retinitis pigmentosa. Yes, indeed, yes. But uh, uh, over time, you know, as our understanding of RP developed uh, and as uh, treatments and the science of the, of the eye and the retina uh, started to advance, um, we realized, you know, probably in the last five years that uh, although we've contributed enormously to, uh, to advancing uh, key breakthroughs in ophthalmology, um, it's not really going to do Canadians or our community or anyone really uh, that much good uh, if we don't find uh, innovative and effective ways to uh, actually connect uh, patients to the treatments that are emerging as a result of that science. Um, so it's really been over the last five years that we've started to take a, a hard look at uh, developing uh, policy 
initiatives that will actually uh, uh, make a difference in, in that area and um, ensure that you know when when the new cutting edge treatment uh, emerges that you know we find a way to integrate it into the Canadian healthcare landscape uh, not in a way that's that's just available to, to those who have enough money in their pockets of course but uh, in a way that is actually equitable so that is available to uh, to everyone as part of our universal healthcare system. Yes, indeed. Um, and, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, food for thought there and a lot of really good examples in how you have approached this that our members would certainly, um, you know, would be interested in. Um, in relation to your member membership, your member organ or those that are within your community, um, how have you continued to engage with them throughout the COVID period? I know a lot of people have, of course, talked a lot about the ability um, to engage through technology in various different applications. Um, have you had any challenges in, in doing so with respect to your community or has it been smooth? I, that's, that's kind of the big question, isn't it? It's kind of what's all in front of us as far as uh, the patient group community is concerned is how do we continue to maintain uh, connections with one another and continue to build our communities uh, uh, despite these uh, very extreme conditions. Um, and I wouldn't say that, that we haven't faced any challenges, but from my perspective, at least, it's been very, very smooth uh, transitioning into, uh, into a largely kind of virtual space. And of course, that isn't to say that it's been a smooth transition for people living with vision loss and blindness. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure that that's something that we can talk about, but as far as our community initiatives are concerned, um, you know, it's, it, it's been a challenge and we've had to shift gears and it's, uh, it's demanded a lot of uh, our staff. Uh, but I think that uh, we've done a great job kind of keeping things going in the virtual space. So, so one really good example is um, for a long time now, we've had an educational series called Vision Quest. Yes. And those were uh, in-person sessions held at uh, hospitals, universities, other venues across Canada. Uh, we usually hold something like five to ten every year. Um, so obviously it became possible to hold Vision Quest this spring in the way that we normally would. So instead we developed a series of webinars called Viewpoint. Okay. And, um, they've, been, they've been very, very interesting. In fact, in some ways it's blown open the doors for participation because you no longer have all of the course. barriers that are associated with physical spaces. And I think this is actually quite key for yes. the vision loss community as well, right? Is that it can be asking a lot of someone who has, for example, advanced RP, uh, to make their way to downtown Toronto, for example, and, uh, right. and attend yeah. a uh, in-person yeah. session, but it's perhaps not so onerous to uh, jump onto a webinar and participate in that way. So our numbers have increased in many instances and remain steady elsewhere, uh, and we've had some really interesting interactions as a result. That's really great, and and it's it's you know I was talking to um, one of our members last week for this this particular series and. You know, her, her challenge was remembering all the passwords for all of the different pieces. And there are technical challenges. There's there's no question, but it does yeah. allow participation and greater participation in that greater reach. So I suppose, you know, something good has come of it insofar as that we have an opportunity to to engage better um, and have the time, I suppose, to 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 talk to um, to different stakeholders and, and listen to their experiences and try to apply that knowledge. Right. I think so. Yeah, I think it's been an enormous learning experience for many people in the community. And um, one of the, the key characteristics of Vision Quest that I was always quite a fan of is that uh, it wasn't just uh, for patients exclusively, although patients probably are the largest 
comprise the largest kind of percentage of the audience, but it's also mm -hmm. about bringing together um, uh, government officials and policymakers and researchers and uh, uh, representatives from the uh, uh, from industry and from the pharmaceutical sector, and uh, that's continued to be the, the case in the virtual environment as well. Uh, is that we see these really interesting perspectives coming together to to uh, think through and discuss uh, very important issues, ranging from uh, you know scientific uh, sessions. We've had sessions on uh, genetics and uh, the models of ocular disease. Uh, that was the title of one session, and then another called Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine. Uh, so those are, you know, the, the kind of scientific sessions, but then we've also had um, uh, sessions on uh, social distancing. Uh, very uh, good. In the context yeah. of COVID-19. So I think it's been very, um, it's been very diverse, and, uh, and it's continued to sort of bring the best of what, uh, what Vision Quest has to offer to the, to the virtual space. The other, yeah. the other thing that's been very nice um, during the pandemic uh, is that the research projects that I mentioned earlier, the, mm -hmm. the uh, burden of illness uh, studies that we've conducted, we already had a number of them scheduled, quite a few actually. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have a, a project focused on age-related macular degeneration, another on diabetic macular edema, uh, and another on inherited mental diseases. And the participation numbers there have been really, really uh, overwhelmingly good. Um, so that's that's been nice to see. That's, that's really great because people are, are available and, and I suppose are, are, are more interested in participation. Um, just in relation to obviously this opportunity to speak to you, I mean, one of the fundamental objectives of Retin International is to bring people together um, so that we can learn from each other. Um, so those webinars, are they available on your website or are they for, you know, your community particularly or can our members um, maybe have a look at those and, 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 um, and you know, just uh, log on? Is, is that possible? It's possible. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. So uh, all you have to do that they're completely public and they're all archived on our website. Right. Uh, yeah. They've actually, the, the spring session is over, so we don't have any that are on the immediate horizon. <clears throat> We're taking a bit of a break until the fall, uh, but Viewpoint will come back in the fall and everything will be uh, free and accessible. But if you do want to check out the archive sessions, you can just go to our website, which is fightingblindness.ca. <clears throat> and at the top of the site, you'll see an option called Get Involved. Okay. If you hover over that, you'll see another option called Educational Webinars. And uh, once you click that, educational webinars, uh, you're brought to uh, a list of uh, archive sessions. Great, we'll put that link um, on our website and we'll include it in, in, in this, um, this bulletin as well. Um, so really, from your perspective, you know, looking at successful methods of engagement with your community, what would you say the most successful method of engagement is? What have you seen the most, um, the most, uh, you know, the most uh, engagement from, from your patients with feedback. What would be the best method, do you think? Big question, I know, but just from your own perspective. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I, I don't know if we've changed our methods that dramatically. I mean, what, one mm -hmm. thing that we really benefit from is the fact that um, we're an organization with a, a long history. Uh, so many of our donors and community members have been a part of Fighting, Fighting Blindness Canada for decades at this point. Uh, so we've always been lucky in that regard and we benefited from not just the continued participation of those individuals, uh, mm -hmm. but also the fact that they're willing to let us 
uh, lean on them and ask a lot of them so that they can kind of uh, do some outreach and to uh, uh, expand our community as much as possible. So I think if anything, uh, it's been the community uh, during this pandemic that has really stepped up and uh, has uh, done so much to kind of keep the organization going and ensure that, uh, uh, that we're being as inclusive as possible. Um, one really good example of that is that uh, we have an event called Cycle for Sight. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, that's changed as well this year, of course. So instead of a group of people getting together and, and cycling somewhere in Canada, we're having a virtual event where people will be kind of cycling in their own communities in smaller groups or even, uh, you know, cycling uh, uh, on a kind of automated machine uh, at home. Yes. Um, so it's going virtual. It's actually happening this Saturday. But uh, uh, the participation there has been incredible. And I think that's really been the community kind of doing everything they can to uh, get the word out there and to, to build teams in their, in their kind of local context. It's great. And it's interesting, you mentioned the word community several times, you know, in, in, your, in your, um, your discussion here. And it's a very important word, you know, in the context of where we are as a community right now, as we move from, you know, the development of um, research and initial research, basic research through the whole life cycle towards the clinic, towards the, 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 the great hope that we have for treatments and that real need to have a community work together to be able to provide the information and the case for supporting this community and accessing the, the, the appropriate therapies as, as they emerge. You know, this is something that is in one way, you know, huge opportunity to bring people together, but also a challenge as we move forward, where there is, I suppose, many, many, um, many, many pressures on people's time. You know, there are lots of different organizations within the vision community, you know, and it's important for us all to work together. And I think we, we all, we all do that in, in our community and, 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 and others quite effectively. But what is it going to look like into the future? You know, what do you think the future of engaging patients will be? Um, and do you think that we have challenges um, with respect to, as I said, you know, maybe a, 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 a disparity, a, a, ch a change in approach, or do you think there's opportunity within that? Yeah, that's that's a really good point, and and um, I completely understand what you mean. You know about uh, in some ways a lot is being asked of the patient community, and that's that's always been the case. Perhaps it's increasingly the case um, that uh, you know when we're talking about new treatments specifically, uh, it does seem to be the case that uh, uh, we are demanding more and more of of patients and you know individuals who are already managing complex diseases and everything that comes along with that mm -hmm. um, you know so even when we're asking someone to participate in a survey you know that can be that can be a complex thing when you're already uh, managing a job and a career and a family and all the other mm -hmm. things that are that are part of life um, I think that the bottom line for me is that uh, we, we basically have to do that we don't have any other choice at this point mm -hmm. um, it would be very nice if, if governments uh, would actually, you know, do a little bit more to elevate patient perspectives and pull patients into the, um, the, uh, the sort of policy process for, for approving new treatments and uh, uh, bringing them to uh, national markets. Um, but right now what I see is that, you know, everyone is, is talking about this kind of new 
uh, framework of patient-oriented research and, and mm -hmm. patient-centered medicine, uh, but no one, you know, really knows uh, what exactly that is, at least in concrete. Yes, indeed. indeed. So yeah. uh, in some ways, I think that that falls on, on patients and patient groups to really uh, make their voices heard in, in any way possible. Um, but what, what I hope for the future is that, you know, five years, 10 years down the road, uh, we won't have to do all the kind of uh, grassroots legwork on our own that will have mm -hmm. structures and policies in place uh, that ensure that patients are uh, considered central to the, the, uh, the uh, health technology assessment process, for example, you know, that process of yes, reviewing indeed. drugs yes. and integrating them uh, into healthcare systems. I would really like to see that formalized a little bit more. Uh, but until that happens, I think that um, it falls to us to make sure that uh, that uh, patients and their their uh, perspectives and their experiences are uh, considered absolutely essential. Uh, you know, when we're thinking about the development of new treatments and policies. Yes, indeed, and I think you know that's a that's a very important point. Insofar as that you know, a lot of the work that we need to do in order to be able to ensure that people have access, equitable access and timely access to emerging therapies is really on us as a community. And there's a steep learning curve for patients um, and their, their representatives and their support people to be able to address a lot of these really highly complex issues. And I think, you know, working together as a community, we can certainly learn from each other um, how to approach that, that new space. And I'm sure it probably will become more commonplace, um, but hopefully that that pressure on the patient to provide the information um, will start to uh, become, as you say, a bit more structured and less onerous. So, but all very positive, I suppose, you know, at the end of the day, you know, most of our members would say, you know, these are, these are good problems, such a, if such a, a thing exists uh, to have, because it does mean, you know, that there is progress happening and, and, and that's very good. But, you know, it's great to talk to you today, Chad, to learn a little bit about the work that you're doing in Fighting Blindness Canada um, and the novel approaches that you have. And there's certainly a lot of work that you're doing that is really an exemplar for other organizations. And it's, we'll include um, the links to the various different activities in this newsletter. And um, we thank you very much for your time. And I'm sure we'll be speaking to you again soon. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on.